Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 120 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, yes, we are. Kayla, how are you? I am great. I had a nice chill day at work today. Nice, nice. We were, uh, it was slow, but not like, it was planned slow. We had people off, like a bunch of people on vacation at once, so... We got to just have the garage doors open because it's gorgeous outside. It is so nice here. And so it was a great day. And, awesome. And awesome. I'm coming off of a great weekend. Yeah. What What exactly did you do this weekend? All I know is that you couldn't go to Belly Idol with me. I went to Wild and Windy, which is a book convention, like an author convention in Chicago. Okay. That makes sense. Wild and Windy. Yep. Okay. And so I went down there with uh, my friend Ashley. Uh-huh. And it's a romance book, like, convention. Oh, is that the wild part? The wild, wow. yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, God, that was a terrible... <laughs> We're the worst the, cats. The face was the best part of it, and they <laughs> can't even see it. Um, so I went there, met my friend Ashley, and we basically... So she's, like, the equivalent of what I do for Homegrown. Like, she helps organize everything. She... Sets up with the volunteers, makes sure all the authors are happy that they have everything they need, gets ready with the pre-orders, all of this stuff. She's the committee. Yes, basically. And so I got to go down there. I got a bunch of books. Uh, Let's see. I got ones from Eden O'Neill, J.L. Beck, J.D. Hollyfeld, and Lucy Smoke that I'm excited to read. These are all new authors to me. Me too. And uh, they... I, if I like them, which I'm hoping I will, but if I like them, then I will buy more books because I get addicted to books very easily. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and then yeah, so you these these book people that go to this like regularly are crazy in the best way. <laughs> okay, so because they're like you. Yeah, they, well, yeah. So it was like looking at nerd on a different level. Uh, the smutty nerds. Yes, smutty nerds. Yes, these I mean, folks are actually getting laid. <laughs> <laughs> if only in their imaginations, at least it's happening. With, and it's no, good. M- most of them are married, it's, and they get the best of worth, both worlds. They get their real life husband and their book boyfriends, yeah, or girlfriends, yeah. You know, like yeah, whatever works for them. Um, but so it's all about author signing, and you get to meet all these cool, awesome authors. Well, these people that are really into it and make this like this is their hobby. Mm-hmm. They come in and they have. Like giant, they look like milk crates, like on a cart, except they're a little bit bigger, but they're that same square. And they yeah. fill them with books, and then they bring them around to all of the authors, and then they have them sign their books and like add to their collections. Or like some of them have like first editions of these books and like it's the original cover that they don't make anymore. It was very cool. To everybody was super nice. The authors were super nice. I had so much fun. Good. Can you imagine, though, if you had one of those little carts and then all of a sudden, like, a wheel broke off? And then you have, like, 50 pounds of books you have to, like, drag across the floor? Yeah, I, luckily I didn't see anything traumatic like that happen. Oh, good. <laughs> but I'm sure it does happen. I, like, I wonder how many people have backup carts. Right. In case their carts fail. Right. Like, that's how dedicated you are. You're like, no, I've got this cart, but in the back of my car, I got the backup cart. It's it's not as comfortable. It's not as smooth of a ride, but you know you have it just in case. Of just in case, you got to have a backup plan with your backup cart. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How was your weekend, K? 
Michaela. It was phenomenal. Phenomenal. I went to go see Billy Idol. This is the second time I went to see him. I It was at the Palace. It was amazing. The opening band, amazing. Billy, amazing. As always. He's yes. always amazing. And the crowd was fantastic. Like, Rachel, we went with Rachel, and she and I were just, like, having conversations with other people in the crowd, just, like, really bonding over the experience. And then the staff was also amazing. Like, there was this one guy with dreads that we kept coming up to because he was the the bartender guy. Mm-hmm. And at one point in time, I'm getting, like, sweaty, and my hair was down. And I'm not used to wearing my hair down, and so I was getting really annoyed. And yeah. I had a pen in my bag. But it's one that had little grippies on it. And you can't you can't put your hair up with a grippy pen. You have to have like a smooth pen. Oh, see, I, I can't put my hair up with a pen at all. Well I've never been able to do it. I can do it and I desperately needed to. And I went up to him and I was like, Hi. <laughs> I have this really amazing pen. Can I trade it for your pen? And he goes, No, I love my pen. I was like, Oh, Okay, I just really want to put my hair up. And he goes, oh, okay. And then he, we like switched pens. And then at the end of the show, I, I went up and I switched them back. And it just, yeah, I, I went up to the upper level because we were general admission. And I was like, hi, lady guarding the upper level. I love the song Rebel Yell. I'm going to ask you in advance. When that song comes on, can I come up here and can I like record it? And she goes, just like right in front here. I'm like, yeah. She's like, yeah, sure. So Rebel Yell starts. Rachel and I book it up the stairs to be able to like go record it. And she sees me and I'm like, hi, it's me. And she goes, yep, you can go ahead and record. And Rachel's with me. And then other people came up to like sit and watch it as well. And she kicked all of them out except for me and Rachel. And Rachel's (laughs) like, how did you, how did you get her to do that? I was like, you just gotta be nice. (laughs) I love that. Because first of all, everybody loves a great show experience, meeting good people, like that's great. But you did the thing, I hate the phrase, it's better to uh, beg for forgiveness than ask for permission. 95% of the time, it's going to work out better for you if you pre-plan and ask. You know, (laughs) okay, first of all, you were the one who said it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask for permission when I said I wanted to have rainbow hair and my boss told me no. That's different. That's okay. But yeah, exactly. In the, in this situation, and we just like it. Just it was probably one of, if not the best, like larger concert experience I've ever had. When I say it's better, like better to ask in this, I'm talking like in a show scenario where there's security and like these oh, types yeah, of yeah, things. Yeah. Like, don't just rush someplace. Ask because if they can, they will. Because they love making people happy. They get they spend so much time getting yelled at. They'd rather make people happy. Yeah. I actually did the exact same thing during the Billy Idol show I went to at First Ave. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing. I went up to the guy and I was like, okay. No one is sitting here in these prime seats. No one's been here all day. And that's totally fine. But during Rebel Yell, can I just like sneak in here? And he's like, no. And then Rebel Yell came on and he goes, oh my God. Okay, yeah. Go right Because <laughs> I was just like... <gasps> And he's like, okay, yeah, go ahead. And I'm like, thank you so much. I'm glad you had such a good time. Well, I'm glad. Oh, also, this weekend, uh, there was the Twin Ports Horror Society Halfway to Halloween show. Yeah. And so I saw a bunch of posts from that. 
I'm jealous I didn't get to go to that Halloween show. I'm jealous I didn't get to go to Billy Idol. But I had a great time. It sounds like it was just a good time it was to be nice. in our group of friends. Yeah. And in all like, the things, yeah. all the cool things. All the cool things. It's, it's all the cool, cool things. things. <laughs> it is coming up great for summer 2023. I know. And Ben Paddle's Festiversary is on Saturday. So. Oh, yeah. I really consider the Festiversary the kickoff of summer in Duluth. So I'm pretty pumped. I have never been to it. Oh, my God. Okay. Ellipsis is doing a ticket giveaway. You should enter. I just never. What? There's always something going on. I can't remember. There's always something else I'm usually at. Eh. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Who's playing this year? Uh, everyone awesome. Uh, well, the Gemstones, um, in honor of Afro Geode, Charlie Parr is the headliner, Big Wave Dave and the Ripples, Feeding Leroy, uh, New Salty Dog, and Woodblind. Hot damn, that's a lineup. I know. I know. Side note, I should I should get free tickets. We should get free tickets just for promoting this. <laughs> I mean, I got free tickets. To give away, I already purchased my ticket, so. <laughs> that was unprompted, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Laura at Ben Paddle, do you listen to our podcast? <laughs> Maybe. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I did promote our podcast a little bit while I was at Wild and Windy. Oh, good. Because it was a book convention, uh-huh. and I had bookmarks. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> so. <laughs> ah, you're like these. These are my people. You understand and accept this as a uh, a giveaway item. Exactly. <laughs> well, I've got my story ready. I have a listener, a lot of listener heavy stuff this week. Okay. So, before we do that, should we crack into it? Yeah, let's do it. And we're back. All right. So, as I said, listener heavy. Okay. Because first of all, we're going to start with the fact that I got a very sweet message from Anne-Marie. Okay. Um, this last weekend, I get a message that says, Aw, thanks for explaining Phantom Canyon to me. We were there last fall while staying in Victor, which it was a crazy ghost of a mining town, and then sent me some pictures of them visiting Phantom Canyon. What? Yeah. Yeah. So it's gorgeous. That girl goes everywhere. Right? Right? Jealous. Jealous. Take me with you. Jelly. And then um, a few weeks ago, we got a very fun email from Christy titled, So Many Suggestions Plus a Couple of Weird Things. (laughs) Okay. I love it. And I'm so excited for the weird things. The email started off, Hi. I have no idea why it's taken me so long to listen to your podcast. Duh. First off. This is Christy, like used to be manager at Luce Christy, known Kayla for a long time Christy, definitely met Brittany a bunch of times too Christy. Anyway, I love live in Southern Arizona now. There's a bunch of stuff down here that I think you two would have fun looking into. Yes. Do you remember Christy? No. Okay, I'm not going to say her last name because podcast. Christy Long Long Dreads was the manager at Pizza <gasps> Luce. Yes. Yes. I'm really bad with names, so you have to give me, like, visual descriptions. I adore her. She gave the best hugs Uh of all time. And my favorite thing would be to go to karaoke when she was at karaoke because she would sing um, 
and I don't know if I, this is the right, but Mama's Good to You, like from Chicago. Yeah. Oh, she was so, oh, she's so good. When you're good to Mama, Mama will be good to you. Yes. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> and I mean, in general, just a great person. But right. also, so Christy, love you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Yeah, welcome. Hi. Welcome. Hi. And wowzers, she was right. She had a bunch of suggestions. And so I'm going to kind of pick apart her email every once in a while as we go. Okay. So I'm going to be taking the first of them that caught my eye today, and I'm going to start with the Hotel Congress in Tucson, Arizona. Not the Congress Hotel, which is one we've covered. This is I was, the <laughs> Hotel Congress. Okay, you saw the look of like, that sounds awfully familiar. I Kayla. looked it up. I made sure because I thought it was familiar too. You have covered the Congress Hotel. This is the Hotel Congress. Okay, okay. So the Hotel Congress describes themselves on their own website as a landmark hotel with urban charm. Ooh. The first thing that pops up on their website is, yes, it's loud. We are an urban historic rock and roll hotel. Your room may be affected by the plaza, nightclub, or street noise. We do not give discounts or refunds due to noise. Earplugs are available at the front desk, or better yet, just join in on the fun. Aw. And I like that they're upfront about it. I like that they're upfront about it and they're like, no, you're not going to get any sort of discount. Seriously, just have fun here. It's going to be allowed, but you are in downtown Tucson. What do you expect? The Hotel Congress was originally built in 1919 to serve the cattle and railroad industries. The hotel boomed in the 1920s with travelers and high rollers. It is now a cultural landmark prominent in downtown Tucson. Though classically renovated and updated, every nook and cranny of the hotel reveals a window to years past. From the taproom bar to the colorful murals that line the walls, there is, like, thought and history in every detail. They point out that they pride themselves on the many unique features that they offer. Um, You're probably not going to find a lot of this anywhere else. And then they go, some cynical city slickers might notice the absence of television in any of our 39 rooms and feel slighted. They don't have TVs. Like the Palmer House, I think, doesn't have TVs. Interesting. Interesting. Wait, I don't know if the Palmer House doesn't have TVs or if they just don't. I can't remember. But either way, they don't have TVs, but that is intentional because they are trying to, like, maintain the ambiance of the original hotel. So they have iron bed frames and vintage radio in the room. Love it. Um, they catch like a, the rumble from a nearby train. They have 1930s style rotary phone that connects to a real switchboard still in use at the front desk. <gasps> I love that. And all rooms have private bathrooms and air conditioning. They point that out because it's a historic hotel. They don't want people to think they're not going to have their own bathroom. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, you know, back in the day, they used to do like a communal bathroom like they do in hostels. Yeah, I'm glad that they have their own now, though. <laughs> On top of uh, being loud and lacking television, the hotel is also haunted. Of course it is. And that seems to be the big draw for many people staying there. Like, if you're doing this, you're doing this to get into the classic feel, to be close to nightlife, and to maybe see a ghost. Yeah, so really, you just have to stay out and party until you get back to your hotel room, and then you're just going to pass out. You don't even need to watch TV. Exactly. And if you are that desperate for television, we all have streaming services on our phone. You're I'm fine. Saying. It has so many paranormal stories that haunted historian Connor Gossel calls it one of the most active paranormal locations in the country. Quote, the Hotel Congress, having been around since 1919, 
is full of such ugly and dark stories from murders and suicides on various floors in various rooms that a lot of people over the course of decades, over the course of a century, have reported experiencing paranormal entities. And every staff member that currently works here has had first-hand knowledge of encounters. Unquote. I love, we've said this before, but I love a location that, like, embraces the oh, haunted yeah. rather than trying to, like, sweep it under the rug. It makes it way easier to research. I will point that out. As I was doing this research, I was like, man, this is so much easier than a lot of our locations. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in a story by Sarah Mawet, M-A-U-E-T, Mawet. In the Arizona Daily Star, Friday, October 31st of 2003, she quotes Shanna Oseran, who was one of the owners at the time, mm-hmm. who was speaking um, of the several permanent residents in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Usually when it's quiet, they come through. They look like normal people. They're not transparent or anything. You might see someone out of the corner of your eye and then turn and look and they won't be there. So one of the most familiar ghosts is easily recognized by his old-fashioned attire, a gentleman that comes through in a top hat, and he walks through the lobby and sticks his head into the office door if the office door is open. To be like, hey. So it's like, imagine sitting at your office desk, and then just out of the corner of your eye, you see somebody, like, peek their head in, you think it's going to be a staff member trying to ask you a question, and then they're just, there's no one there. That's- <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I was trying to think of a reaction. To that. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine that. <laughs> I can indeed imagine that. Other ghosts have their own routines. Uh, one always peeks out of a top window. Another walks through the kitchen. Uh, there's one that wears a maid uniform. I'll get a little bit more into depth than some of these, but this was just from that specific article. Okay. Based on an informal Lost Souls investigation, they concluded that these repeated sightings are the result of enduring impressions on people. So basically, they're doing, they're talking that it's something that I like keep calling an echo mm-hmm. when I talk, like especially when we're talking about lighthouses or things like that, which where I believe a lot is of repetition. actually residual haunting is what you're looking for. Okay, well, I don't know, like an echo also makes sense, <laughs> but like residual haunting, I don't think. I guess maybe that is the term. I just, I don't, it doesn't make me think of just repetition, but I guess I would just like, when I hear residual haunting, my brain just goes like, oh, this is like a little leftover. Because it's residual. Because it's residual, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They likened it in the article to something like watching a videotape of past events. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's not to say that all of the ghosts are just this video loop uh, from beyond the grave. Many of the ghosts are active, aware, and interact with sensitive and receptive people. Hotel Congress has several of those ghosts. Uh, apparently, one night, someone asked Osirin for a, like, to talk to the woman that helped them from behind the desk, like the desk clerk. Uh-huh. And she was like, uh, we only have a male desk clerk working this evening. Oh, so there is a female desk clerk of the past who is still... Who helped somebody that was not actually there. Interesting. I wonder if she actually, like, checked them in. Like, is she keeping up with the new technology? Is she understanding how to use the system? Or is she just like, oh, yeah, totally, you're in room 35. Here you go. There is a story of a male ghost later that it's not that same scenario, but it kind of fits. Okay. Wait till you... I think you're going to like that story. 
She said another resident ghost is able to physically affect its surroundings. There's one on the second floor that locks the bathroom from inside, and we have to go take the door off the hinges to get at it. God, that's annoying. And there's no window in that bathroom, so it has to be a ghost. Imagine if you're staying in that room and you just really have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> That'd be terrible. You're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, take the door off, take the door off. So they mentioned in that article that there were a lot of tragedies that happened in this hotel. Like we've talked about, happens in a lot of hotels. Uh-huh. One of the biggest tragedies that occurred in the building was a devastating fire in 1934. Fun fact, the fire in 1934 brought a firefighter who recognized members of the John Dillinger gang and led to their arrest a few hours later. Oh, that is a fun fact. I was a little concerned as to where you were going with fire fun fact. (laughs) (laughs) On January 22nd, 1934, a fire started in the basement of the Hotel Congress. It spread up through an elevator shaft all the way to the third floor and engulfed the third floor in flame. Oh, my God. Frightened hotel guests began running into the streets while others began climbing out of the windows of the hotel to escape the flame, where they did have firefighters with, like, ladders that were getting to them from from the windows. Yeah. Among the guests were two men standing outside in the street, only in their underwear, and they anxiously pleaded and bribed some of the firefighters to go up and retrieve their luggage. According to one source, they bribed them with $12. Which I mean, it's 1934. I didn't look up today's money, but 12 bucks will get you your luggage in the case of a fire emergency, I guess. Okay. <laughs> I guess, it, yeah, okay. So this whole thing caught the eye of one of the firemen. This firefighter, who didn't, like, miss much, he was known to be pretty observant, had an avid interest in crime and recognized members of the John Dillinger gang. So they had climbed through the window to safety, got brought down, and were immediately asking for people for their luggage, which is, there's a devastating fire. Like, that's not your first priority. So I think that's what triggered it in his head. I mean, weren't they also just in their underwear? Well, that too, but, I mean, you could always get a robe from somebody. From where? The hotel is on fire, Kayla. Yeah, but there's just surrounded by people. No, I'm just, I'm going with it. I If I was in a devastating fire, even if I was in my underwear, I'd be like, can I get a blanket? I don't need my luggage. Right, right. So what's in that luggage? So this fireman told local police officers about these strange men, and they were caught within a few hours after a police stakeout at a different location, a house on 2nd Street in Tucson. When the luggage was later recovered, they found three Thompson 45 caliber submachine guns, two 3030 Winchester rifles, five military bulletproof vests, four hand grenades, three bottles of dark Cuban rum, a glass eyeball, a skeleton's hand, $38,000 in cash, along with $7,500 in gold co- worth of gold coins from the U.S. state's mint. A skeleton hand? A skeleton hand. Okay. Okay. Now, $12. I get it. Sometimes you just you just need the $12, which is probably like, I don't know, $50 in today's money. But that all sounds very heavy. So, like, those firemen went up and that mu- multiple things of luggage, heavy, it's, like, weighed down with guns and gold. and. So, from what I'm actually getting from the story as it split up okay. is that they were trying to bribe people. They did not succeed. They went to another location. This was found when their luggage was later recovered. Oh, after the fire. In multiple luggage. This wasn't all in one suitcase. This was, like, multiple things of luggage after the fire had been put out. Yep. Okay. Because 
the, and this is what I think prompted them to search the luggage because after that report from the firefighter, yeah, when they when they you know got to that other house, they had arrested Russell Killer Clark, Charles the Knife Mackley, Harry Gunner Pierpoint, and their ringleader John Dapper Dillinger. Tucson police got them all, and that's I think what prompted them to, to look search through the, the luggage through the luggage. Yep. Okay. Um, do we know whose hand that was? It does not say. Uh, the men were all transferred to another state to stand trial for their many murders, but escaped that prison and went right back on the road to commit crime. Uh, the Tucson Police Department kept all of the items found in the luggage. However, over time, the only remaining items that can be accounted for are the machine guns, which are on display at the Tucson Police Department headquarters. Over the years since the events surrounding the capture of the Dillinger gang, some employees of Hotel Congress have reported feeling skeletons' hands touching their shoulders or necks during the years while working at the hotel. Ew. They've Just... also reported hearing the glass eyeball moving across floors in the kitchen and along the tops of bars very late at night. That's just weird. I suppose it just sounds like a marble rolling. Yeah. <laughs> I, but, like, the ghost of the skeleton hand just comes and touches you? Like, just, they just report feeling a skeleton-like hand. Oh, I don't like that. I also, also... Okay. Hmm. I know that that most of these people are dead at this point. If you catch a notorious gangster who's known for murdering people and they've escaped multiple times from facilities, why are you not putting, like, heavier guard on them? Because they just keep escaping. Because... Uh, corrections and police have dirty people just like they have good, <gasps> like that I guarantee you it's not that just they're digging their way out like Shawsh- Shawshank style <laughs> they probably have bribes and stuff like that and connections that's what I that's how I always assume that stuff happens oh I guess that makes sense they're not crawling through a, a, a tunnel of poop <laughs> <laughs> timing their hits with the thunder yeah <laughs> such a good movie on November 1st 1997 an old gray-haired man in a very tattered black suit appeared at the bar late one night near closing time. He had an old bottle of real Cuban rum in his jacket, and the bartender was like, uh, yo, you can't bring your own drinks in here. But it was near closing time, and the mysterious man rented had rented a room up on the second floor. He paid the front desk clerk with some old U.S. currency, and he invited the bartender, along with a few other employees, up to have a drink in his room later, saying, hey, look, look, let's keep this party going. Okay. After drinking and talking for well over an hour with the employees, the old man told the employees that he was going to take a quick shower, ask them all to come back in like a half an hour. Upon their return to the room, they found it was empty with no signs the man had ever been there. The glasses they had drank from were mysteriously clean and unused. The trash can was empty. And a quick check with the desk clerk downstairs revealed that no one had left the hotel to their knowledge. Like, the guy hadn't checked out. Okay. So... Quickly, the desk clerk was, like, super, like, curious, obviously, about this and checked the man's sign-in card. He had watched him fill out at the counter. Yeah. And it was filled out with an ink pen. There was no way to erase it. The card was completely blank. The clerk had watched him fill it out, and now the card was blank. The clerk then used his key and opened up the cash register, but quickly found that the all the old large U.S.-sized coins currency had vanished. 
Like the stuff that the guy remembers him paying with was gone. What? What? The card was empty. The coins were gone. Like this is these ghosts can affect the outside world and apparently like that's weird, right? Yes, Kayla, it is weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. So that was that was one of my favorite stories from this. And so the the bartender went up and drank out of a glass and then that glass was suddenly just like clean. Yeah, like all the oh stuff they had been gosh, yeah. That's so spooky. And it keeps going. <laughs> like many haunted hotels, this building seems to have some rooms that are the focus of a lot of the activity. Gossel said that the vast majority of the experiences happen on the second floor of the hotel. Encounters that have led to some guests checking out early. Quote, I personally spoke to one of the employees here saying that prior to 2 a.m. and after that, they have had guests that come down from their rooms claiming people are standing over their bed, that they're feeling uneasy, someone is watching them, odd noises out in the hall. So much that in the middle of the night, they end up running out and leaving the hotel Congress, unquote. I just can't imagine being that scared at a hotel. Let's get to some of these stories, and you might change your mind. Okay, okay. So, one of the most notorious rooms will give you chills just by stepping into it. Room 242 has a troubled past, and guests have reported ghostly experiences while staying in it. Many have reported that they are wakened by a woman in a long white dress sitting at the foot of the bed. One source said that this was sometimes called the suicide room, after a young woman who was working as a barmaid in the 1940s, I'm using air quotes here, took her life following a breakup. So, and you'll see why I was using the quotes. Okay. So the breakup was with a married man, like a high-ranking official in the 1940s. Supposedly, there was a resulting midnight standoff with authorities that ended in a hail of gunfire into the room. So there were 29 shots into the bathroom where oh. they're like, like into the room in general and the bathroom. What the fuck could she have been doing to uh, like cause people to shoot her 29 times? I don't know, but that's the high ranking official standoff with authorities, tons of gunshots. And they, but in the police report, it says it was a suicide and that she shot herself. Mm, okay, so we're thinking foul play. We're thinking foul play. Okay, I get it. I get it. Yep. He wanted to get his mistress gone. Exactly. But they claimed it was a suicide. Yep. Okay. Uh, this room actually, uh, as as of the time of the article I was reading, still had a bullet hole in the room's closet door. That is a eerie reminder of the connections to the events of that night. Eerie yet purposeful exactly. reminder. <laughs> Uh, She has also been seen in the bathroom and just outside of the room, and guests have reported noises and nightmares while staying in this room. Guests have also reported seeing a man in a suit in the window of room 214 from the plaza, but every time the staff has gone to check out the weird guy just peeking through the windows, the room has been vacant. Just peeking through the windows? He's also rumored to roam the hallways. The unseen presence here is thought to be a man who passed away, and they... They see him wearing a seersucker suit, which is like a tight cotton suit in a striped style. It's like worn a lot in the like 40s in the summer. It was like a comfier suit, I guess, to wear because it was cotton and breathable. Okay. Um, He seems agitated and restless. 
Um, a bloody handprint has been seen in room 214. And the spirit does not like the sound of the vacuum and has been known to pull the plug while cleaning staff are trying to clean the room. When music from the 1920s is played in this room, the atmosphere becomes calm and happier, and it seems like it soothes the mood of the spirit so that the vacuuming can be finished. Okay. Room 220 is known as Vince's room. So Vince worked and lived at the Hotel Congress for 36 years. He passed away in 2001. He was a very disciplined man who had the same routine every day. He would wake up, go downstairs, and get a cup of coffee with a small plate, a butter knife, and a bagel. He'd then come back upstairs, and then he'd leave the dirty cup and plate outside of his room. Off and on for years, hotel members have been finding butter knives scattered around the second floor. (laughs) Tucson Museum reported that Vince had been known for stealing the knives from the kitchen and actually around town throughout the 1960s and 70s. He's just a butter knife. He likes to collect butter knives, apparently, because they said specifically he returns the plate and the cup, but not the butter knife that he takes with the bagel. And so they've just been finding butter knives around the hotel. But he he used to work there? Yep. Do you think, like, the maid would go up there every, every month and collect, like, a bunch of different butter knives? Like, Vince, seriously, dude? <laughs> We're out of butter knives. <laughs> One source said that his death was mysterious because it was during a full moon and he was attacked by a desert bobcat in the alley. I don't know that that is so much <laughs> mis- What? <laughs> I don't know that that is so much mysterious as it is an animal attack. I mean, I think it's weird. Yeah, but it's an animal attack. Those happen. Maybe, are they implying, like, maybe it wasn't a desert bobcat? Maybe it was a werewolf? I think they were trying to add some more spice when I don't really know that this place needs more spice. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's it's pretty spicy. In October, they advertised that the Hotel Congress seance experience is available with the description, step into the haunted Hotel Congress for special live theatrical Victorian-style seances in the only third-floor room to survive the 1934 fire. VIP seance table tickets for 25 and GA witness seats for 1250 so the third floor that I mentioned from the fire before, yeah, it was never fixed up after the tragedy. Like that room, like you don't go onto the third floor except for this experience. Like it's all burnt up? Like it's stable, but they did not go and redo all of the rooms. They instead chose to focus on the stuff that is not damaged. <laughs> That's an odd choice. And it gets it gets really interesting here. I, yes, By interesting, do you mean weird? Yes. So in October of last year, in honor of the spooky season, the This Is Tucson team, which is like a local blog that they do, Mm -hmm. sent their two biggest scaredy cats, uh, reporter Elvia Verdugo and editor Gloria Knott, to witness and participate in the seance experience. Okay. So... They start off by saying they made their way to the third floor and they were greeted by the burnt scent when they got to the third floor door, mm-hmm. which has a sign that says no public admittance. Okay. And be, like it's only people that buy this seance experience get to go up there. They head through the door and are guided into a nearly pitch black room with a large wooden table adorned with traditional items for a seance, uh, candlesticks, Ouija board, Objects like bells and handheld chalkboards, tarot cards, your standard 
seance fair. Yes. In their words, quote, the unair conditioned room fills with heat and anxiety so thick you could cut it with a knife. It was probably just the anxiety of the two of us, honestly, but as a small group of mostly strangers trickle into the room hoping to meet another type of stranger, the spiritual kind, who has an eternal tie to the hotel, we all take a seat at the long wooden table and are introduced to our spirit guide seance master, Ross Horowitz, who has a background in paranormal phenomena, including conducting paranormal research at the University of Arizona. Was it as thick as a butter knife? So thick you could cut it with a butter knife? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, butter knives are pretty thick. Yeah. Because they're metal. Oh, sometimes they're plastic, I suppose. That's less thick. Was it so thick you could cut it with a butter there knife? There you go. <laughs> Um, all right, so their leader begins, like, to give a brief history of the room. They're talking about its spiritual significance, mm-hmm. um, how it's the only one to survive the 1934 fire, and then they usually bring up the capture of John Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they start the authentic live recreation of a Victorian-era dark theatrical seance, exactly as performed in the 1800s, with only one rule, don't break the circle. Okay. So, uh, okay, you just keep, like, really emphasizing the word theatrical. I'm pointing out that, because I'm going to get into the details of what they experienced. Okay. And I think they're quick to point out the theatrical. It's, they're making a point to do this in the 1800s style, and I don't want to point it out and be like, this is so, like, so believable, because it is a theatrical performance. The guy is wearing old-timey clothes, but they are using legit seance tools. Oh, okay. It's like, yes. Your implication is that it's definitely not real. My implication is that it's not 100% real. Okay. Yes. So the seance experience features a mid-1800s electromagnetic therapy machine that helps emit like EMF energy into the environment, and that's supposed to help the spirits come forward and be channeled into contact with the living world. The machine sits in a small wooden box and comes with dousing rods to help transfer the energy to the participants. Most participants, including Verdugo and Knott, reported feeling a tingling sensation in their fingers and hands. At some point, the feeling was so intense they said it felt like their hands had completely fallen asleep. The focus of the seance was to summon the known spirit that resides in 242, the one with the shady death. Mm, mm-hmm. Once the work was done and to complete the seance, the Horowitz, the seance master, uh, blew out the flames on the candles and leaves everybody in darkness and silence. Except for, you know, the loud downtown Tucson sounds I'm sure they're hearing because they point out how loud it is there. Constantly, (laughs) 24-7. So in the darkness, uh, they are guided into deep breathing patterns to channel the energy towards summoning a spirit. One deep breath in. One deep breath out, rinse and repeat. As the participants breathe in unison, they reported starting to hear something happen at the table and across the room. They feel gentle grazes on the tops of their hands, feeling like they said a feather duster or a cat toy. Okay. They feel puffs of cold air that come and go across the hands on the table. Okay. 
And aside from the sound of everybody breathing in unison, they hear the sounds of writing on a chalkboard, loud bangs on the end of each table, and the ringing of a bell. Horowitz relights the candles and says, you know, closes the circle, bids adieu to the spirits, and they notice that things have been moved around the table. A scarf had been flung to one side, the chalkboards have illegible scribbles on them, and they all decide to group up and discuss what they experienced during the seance and discover that they all experienced a similar type of phenomena. Some did report feeling the presence of someone standing behind them, and one person said they saw a bright orb in the corner of the room. Okay, and it's pitch black in here, right? Yes, that's what they're saying. Total darkness. Okay. They said some other things occurred as well, but did not report them because they did not want to spoil the surprise, but they hinted that it had something to do with decoding what was scribbly written on the chalkboard. Like an escape room. Yep. So, the reason I kept pointing out the theatrical performance... Because it sounds pretty freaking theatrical to me. Well, no, because that's the whole thing. Like, those 1800 seances, a lot of them were bunked. Like, debunked. Like, this was people putting on, like, a whole charlatan thing. So, yes, they were using legit tools, and, yes, this place is haunted, but this seance thing sounds an awful lot like the old-school way that they would do it. Like, I'm sure they use things to get, yeah, you know. Cat toys. And I'm it probably is still pretty cool. I'd still want to do it, but I don't think I'd buy into it. Uh, no, I would definitely not buy into it, but it does sound like it'd be a fun thing to do. Ooh, bring Steve. He's so scared all the time. <laughs> Um, Sorry, Steve. Some other fun ghostly encounters that you might see or witness in the in the hotel uh-huh. is the spirit of a World War II veteran that likes to hang out in the bar. Apparently, that was his favorite place to chill. His apparition is sometimes seen out of the corner of the eye, sitting at the very end of the bar. He loves the jukebox. He'll turn the volume up on songs that he likes and down on songs he does <laughs> not like. And the staff likes to leave money for him so he can play music. Oh, that's cute. They must also like the songs that he likes. Or they just don't want to piss off a ghost. Yeah, maybe that's how they barter to get the songs that they actually like. There you go. Like, Like, look. But if you could just, you know, play a little My Chemical Romance for me, that'd be great. Thanks. (laughs) Um, There is the spirit of a woman who is possibly a former owner or hotel manager. She gives off a happy and pleasant vibe. When she is seen, she is dressed in early 20th century clothing, including a dark, high button-up collar and long wool skirt. And when she is present, people get the scent of roses. She loves hanging out in the staircase, probably because she can see the first floor very well from there, because she likes to keep an eye on the front desk area, perhaps surveying the living on duty. Mm. Mm-hmm. At least she's got a happy attitude about it, and she's not just like a micromanager. <laughs> Another worker spirit seems to be that of a housekeeper. She doesn't do much. She just kind of goes about her work, diligently carrying linen down the hallways and entering and leaving rooms without actually opening the door. And guests sometimes find that their beds have been turned down by this entity. And besides the many personal experiences of guests and staff, some have hard evidence that have been caught by paranormal investigators and... They said the fire department. I don't. I didn't see anything of that. Just the paranormal investigators, who have collected EVPs, things on video, all of that nature, the standard haunting stuff. So, they're pointing out that it is likely that spirit people calling the hotel Congress home 
in their afterlife might also just be calling it a vacation spot. And imagine just living a permanent vacation after life. That sounds lovely. I certainly would not want to just go back to work every day for the rest of my afterlife. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe they liked it there. Some people actually like their jobs. I'm not saying I dislike my job. I just don't want to do that for all eternity. Very true. <laughs> all right. So that is the Hotel Congress in Tucson, Arizona. That was amazing. I want to go there. Right? It seems like a good place. It seems like fun. It seems like fun. I want to just like set out like butter knives everywhere and see if they Any just go missing. Taken. Yeah. Like varying styles. Yeah. Fancy ones, not fancy ones. Let's see if they have a preference. Before the trip, we'll stop at, you know, like savers and just see what they have in the silverware section. Yeah. Just collect a bunch all of the, them. All the butter knives. And the people at savers checking us out are going to be like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> we're like, oh, we're going to go to Arizona to, um, hang out with a ghost who loves butter knives and don't be worry like, about what it. are what are what okay it'll be a weird interaction <laughs> but it's fine on a skeptic scale of para to normal para uh-huh. being five normal being one what would you give the hotel congress i'm gonna give it a five me too awesome yeah it feels like there are too many witnesses and too many stories and it just the yeah. only thing i'm not buying into is the th- the seance. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Which I don't know by by the fact that they're advertising it as theatrical. Yeah. I don't think they're expecting you to fully buy into it. Yeah. It's like going to dinner theater, except without the dinner. Yeah, it's like the murder mystery, but, like, people don't really get murdered at those. Exactly. Hopefully. Hopefully. So, what have you got for me this week? Um, Tonight, I'm going to tell you the story of Haley Zega. Do you know this one? I don't. Zigazaga, zigazaga, oi, oi, oi. Close. Just zaga. <laughs> zigazaga, zigazaga, oi, oi, oi. All Prost. Right. Und trinken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So in the spring of 2000, six-year-old Haley Zaga went missing in the Ozark Mountains. Okay. Where are the Ozarks? Because I do not know that. Um, was Arkansas? Okay. I think okay. I think it covers like a couple of states. Yeah, you know, we've already talked about how bad I am at geography and it's the Cambridge Isani School District's fault. So <laughs> The Ozark Mountains is where she was and she's from Arkansas. So Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, I want you to imagine it's like one of those movie asides where it's like, now you may be wondering how I found myself lost in the Ozark Mountains. <laughs> Well, it all started on a cool Sunday morning in April. And then you got to do the rewind noises. So a little bit about Haley. Haley was the only child. She lived with her parents, Stephen Kelly, in the Washington Willow Historic District of Fayetteville, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Life in Fayetteville for the Zega family was described as idyllic by the Arkansas Democratic Gazette. Her mother, Kelly, was the director of development for what was then the North Arkansas Symphony, now the S-O-N-A, and she also worked with the Junior League of Northwest Arkansas. And her dad, Steve, was an attorney, a justice of the peace with the Washington County Quorum Court, as well as an Army National Guard officer. All right. They were a busy family with work and Haley attending school at Washington Elementary School, um, but they were happy 
And since Haley was such a well-behaved child, she would often accompany her parents at their various work-related events. Nice. During one April weekend in 2001, Haley's father, Steve, was out of town. He was at Fort Chefe for several days of military training because he was in the National Guards. And her mother had a rare chill weekend planned, and she was going <laughs> to go to the flower shop, and then she was going to spend her day at the Fayetteville Film Festival. And Haley would be spending the afternoon with her grandparents. I love that it sounds so much like us. We're like, I have a chill weekend planned. Hear about all of the things I'm planning on doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, Kelly said, quote, I was excited for Haley to get to do something special and equally excited to have a stretch of time all to myself. It was a beautiful spring day, cool in the morning when she and my parents left Fayetteville, but much warmer later, unquote. So they were off. Haley and her grandparents, Jay and Joyce Hale, began their hike through the forest above the Buffalo National River. After a while, Haley became hungry, hot, and tired. Same girl. Uh, and eventually, <laughs> as six-year-olds do, she sat down on a rock and refused to move anymore. Legit. Yeah. I, that, I, I'm... I mean, I do that at age 34. <laughs> 30 years, and I'm still like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm over it. I'm over, over it. it. I'm hot, I'm tired, and I'm bored. I'm hungry. So uh, her grandparents, Jay and Joyce, using classic parental psychology, said, fine, you can stay here and we're going to leave. No. That is a classic thing that parents would say. No, but they did. No, I know that is, yeah. but they didn't do it, though. Yeah, they did. Oh, my God. So they had been planning to simply kind of just, like, walk around and then, like, double back to get her a couple minutes later just so that she had the moment of being like, wait, wait. And then they would just come right back. However, once Haley was no longer able to see her grandparents because it was, like, brushy, yeah, thick, um, she was like, oh, shit. And so she, she got up, and she went to go follow them, but she took a wrong trail. No. Yeah, so she decided that she was just going to catch up to them, but she took a deer trail instead of the actual hiking trail. She's just like, I don't know, it's a stomp down thing. It must be where they went. So she got up from her rock. She continued down the trail accidentally taking the wrong one, and then when her grandparents doubled back, Haley was nowhere to be found. If you're going to make that threat, the classic, like, fine, we're just going to leave you here threat, don't let the child out of your actual sight. Yeah, just go around the corner. Be sneaky about it. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is a terrifying thought. Yeah. Yeah, they're in the middle of the mountains, in the woods. So when her grandparents were unable to locate Haley, they went for help. Meanwhile, Haley's mom, Kelly, was at her film festival when, quote, they announced over the speaker during a film that I needed to come to the back of the auditorium, and I was immediately alarmed, but my initial terrified thought was that Steve had been injured in artillery training. That was really hard for me to say, artillery training. That's legit. I mean, that, I guess... Your kids with their grandparents, you're not thinking something's wrong there. You're thinking something's wrong with the military husband. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Um, instead, she was told that her daughter Haley had wandered off during their hike. No. No, she didn't. I mean, she kind of did, but yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and Kathy Bass, whose husband Clay Bass had been with them on the hike, as well as their best friend Fran Alexander, they were at the film festival to take Kelly to Newton County, where the search party was already underway. So now Haley is just wandering into the wilderness. And it didn't take long for her to realize that it wasn't likely that she was going to be able to find her grandparents since she hadn't already. So with her six-year-old logic, she figures that if she just keeps walking, eventually she'll come to a gas station and then she can call her parents. Oh my gosh, this poor kid, poor baby. I know. So back in Fayetteville... Kelly was trying to reach her husband, Steve, to tell him what was happening. Quote, I started trying to reach Steve, but the cell service was bad at his end, and we kept having drop calls. Eventually, I was able to get enough information to him that he could leave for Hawksbill Craig Trailhead. Kathy and Fran loaded me up in Kathy's car, took me home, and gave me instructions to gather things in case we had to be there overnight and to bundle up items that would have a strong scent of Haley on them for the canine search teams. Her pillowcase and her favorite dress-up dress is what I took. I was running through the upstairs of our home, grabbing things as fast as I could, and then we were on our way to the Cave Mountain Road. Unquote. So this child who is just walking because she's thinking she's going to find a gas station. Yeah, in the middle of the mountains. I'm curious about how much these families always go hiking. Like, because my thought process being, like, don't don't you teach kids that if they get lost in the woods, they're supposed to stay put? Uh, in a later interview, she said, one, I was really hard to find because I was not wearing bright colors. <laughs> and two, I didn't think of the concept of just stay where you are. <laughs> I, I think what happened is that she legitimately thought she was going to catch up to her grandparents. That makes sense. And then when she got so far, then she just kept walking because she was already far enough away that she was like now what do i do exactly yeah they're not gonna find me i've already left that makes sense yeah so now Haley is lost and she knows it finally she's like i get it i'm lost uh but she is not alone okay 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 i don't like that as Haley would go on to say once she realized that she was lost she was joined by her imaginary friend alicia who stayed with her for the full 52 hours that Haley was missing. Oh, no. Above her head, Haley heard helicopters circling the woods around her, trying to find her, but the woods were thick, and the best way that she could think of to get their attention was to go to the river. Mm-hmm. But it was a steep and like really scary journey down to the river. Luckily, Alicia was there, though, and she helped Haley find the safest route down. Quote, She was a really calming presence. I somehow miraculously found the only way to get to the river safely, and it was because of this presence, this imaginary friend that I had. I'm so grateful for that, unquote. That makes me happy. Once at the river, Haley swam out to a rock in the middle of it, hoping that they would just finally be able to see her. Helicopters, however, had just passed her by. She spent her first night in the forest on that rock in the middle of the river. Quote, I kept falling in. I wasn't terribly, I wasn't a terribly strong swimmer, she recalled. It's a wonder I didn't drown. All the while, the largest search and rescue mission ever carried out in Arkansas history was underway, with over 1,000 volunteers, Haley's family, and search and rescue dogs combing the forest to find her. Wow. 
On day two of being lost, Haley continued her journey through the woods with Alicia beside her all the way. Quote, she was with me, she kept me calm, she played games with me, and she was there for me the entire time. Unquote. That's cute. I mean, the situation is not cute, but Alicia is cute. I'm here for Alicia. Alicia seems awesome. Hashtag team Alicia. Yeah. But soon, day two turned into night two, and still no one had found Haley. After a day of climbing down and out of the mountains and following the river, Haley eventually took refuge in a cave that night. And although volunteers continued to search through the second night, they didn't realize that Haley had traveled out of the assumed search area. Because again, she's a six-year-old all alone. Yeah. Except that she wasn't because Alicia was with her, making her journey easier. And it makes sense that they set up a search perimeter because you have to be able to, like, comb it. And you're, so they're making assumptions based on her age of how far she will have traveled. And, and the difficulty yep. of the terrain. Yeah. Exactly. The next day, two volunteers, William Jeff Villinis and Lytle James, had begun to suspect that perhaps the search and rescue teams were looking in the wrong place. And on Tuesday, May 1st, 52 hours after she had been last seen by her grandparents, the two found Haley sitting by the river, her feet dangling in the water. She rode out of the forest with them on their mule. Oh, well, I'm glad she was found, but that's still, oh, so scary. Oh. According to a May 2nd uh, AP article, quote, Haley returned home Wednesday after being released from the hospital where doctors said she was expected to make a full recovery. Briar scratches crisscrossed her arms and legs, and she had several small scabs on her face, and she had dropped from 47 to 42 pounds, unquote. I imagine she was also pretty dehydrated. She was pretty dehydrated, yeah. Yeah. She said that she was afraid to eat or drink anything because she knew enough that that was bad. That makes sense, yeah. Haley, now 27, said that what she learned of the experience is the power of community. Quote, People left their jobs and people left their families to come out to the woods and look for a little girl they didn't know. She said, there were so many people who I never met and probably will never meet, unquote. As for Alicia, the little girl who was with Haley every step of the way, quote, it's important to me not to define what she was, Haley explained. Some people say she was a ghost. Some people say she was a guardian angel. I had someone message me on Facebook asking if I thought she was an alien, unquote. So although Haley prefers not to think too much about who or what Alicia was, she went on to say, quote, I'll always be grateful for whatever entity that was for keeping me company during that time, unquote. And that is the story of Haley Zega and her friend, Alicia. Wow. I'm happy it has a happy ending. Yeah. She's living her best life 21 years later. Yeah. You know, I don't feel... Uh-huh. Like I can rate this. Is that weird? That is weird. Okay. So here's why here's what I'm why I'm thinking that. Okay. Because I kind of agree I don't know what Alicia would have been. My instinct says ghost, maybe of somebody else who was lost in the woods at uh-huh. some other point. Because especially with the like helping guide her down. Yeah. But also like maybe some like Faye, because yeah. there are good Faye. Like, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, helpful, I guess. Faye. Like, they're not all tricksy and tricksy. Right. And yep. Some of them are yeah. legitimately nice. Um. 
So it's not, I guess, it's not that I, so I guess if I'm going to rate it, I'm going to rate it on believability that whatever Alicia is helped her is paranormal. Yes. I mean, yes, because para versus normal. A lot of times she just keeps referring to her as her imaginary friend. Yep. So that's why I'm saying is it paranormal because imaginary friend is normal. Is normal. Right. And something else is paranormal. And I'm going to go with a four. Okay. As I've kind of talked through it. Only because the amount that she got helped seems like more than a six-year-old, your average six-year-old would come up with. Yes. On their own, in their own imagination. Yes. And it kind of sounds like Haley doesn't really want to think about it. Which is legit. Right. You just want to be happy that you're alive and that you had a giant community all help you out with no reason and that you got back to your parents and you're fine. And actually what's really interesting about this is she said in one of the interviews, she's like, a lot of people talk about the trauma. She's like, I didn't experience any trauma. I was physically uncomfortable, but she's like, I love to go into the woods. I don't have nightmares. I never have because I had Alicia there with me. And that's what makes me lean towards something more para than normal is because I feel like on average at that age, a child is going to freak out when they've gone that far without or long without their parents, their grandparents, somebody who loves them. And she said also in a different interview, she's like, you know, I didn't know to be scared. Being alone, I guess, would be scary, but she wasn't alone. That makes sense. Yep. And so, but she's like, I didn't think about animals that could hurt me. I didn't even know there were animals that could hurt me at that age. Like, I didn't think about weather or any of these other dangers that I could have encountered. I just knew that I was alone, but I wasn't alone because I had Alicia. Nice. So I'm going to give it a 4.5. All righty. Well, as I said earlier, this is a listener-packed episode. We had the Anne-Marie, we had the Christy, and now we have a Gina Gleason. Ah, Gina Gleason. All right. So Gina sent a listener story after the Black Shuck episode. Yeah. Wait, did she see one? Am I ruining things? No, 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 no. Not a Black Shuck. But doggo related. Oh, okay. Because, so I have the email here with with the story. So, Gina says, Kayla, you say you aren't haunted, but don't forget about how my new pup freaked out on you completely out of the blue. She hasn't acted like that since Ghostly Devo was visiting us, if you'll recall that story. Yes, I do. Anyway, here's my listener story in response to the shuck. Keep up the excellent work. I'm always impressed with y'all. Thank you, Gina. We love Aww. you. Yeah, no, uh, her dog, Riley, uh, just randomly did not like me. What? Like, like was acting like she acted when Devo, like, ghost, ghosty Devo was around. And then all of a sudden it was fine again. Huh. Okay. Yeah, it was weird. So we thought that maybe Alice had traveled with us to Texas. Anyway, so Gina writes, listening to your story of the shuck reminded me of an experience I had a few years ago when traveling through Guatemala. Unlike some of my other listener stories, which left me undoubtedly convinced of paranormal activity, I will be the first to admit that this is one that could very well be a coincidence. That being said, if it is simply a coincidence, it's really cool and an unlikely one. Love it. In November of 2019, Kevin and I took a trip to Guatemala. 
Kevin had made a few prior trips to Guatemala because his best friend had once lived there and still had many connections in the country. We met up with him when we arrived, and once they introduced me to their local friend, Eddie, we hopped around town together, spending the night or two in each location. For our time in Panahachi, we arranged to stay in Eddie's family home. On the cab ride into town, Eddie decided to tell us the story of El Cadeo. Now, I'm going to pause and preface my retelling with a disclaimer that my memory of Eddie's version is a general recollection. I went back and did a little bit of research for confirmation on my memory and found out that El Cadeo is a legend told by, like, all throughout Central America. Okay. But varies from region to region. I'm going to tell it as I recall it being told to me, although I acknowledge that there may be some discrepancy in the details. El Cadeo is a spirit embodied in two forms, a black dog and a white dog. Both dogs serve as a form of protection for the community, but do so through the dichotomy of good and evil. The white dog is known to protect travelers on their journey, especially females and solo travelers. The black dog, on the other hand, is one you would never want to encounter. It stalks down the drunks and scares and torments them into sobriety. We joked that I would encounter the white dog as a frequent solo traveler, but the guys would encounter the black dog as frequent bar patrons. <laughs> I, By the way, I'm reading this for, I did not pre-read this so that me and you would experience it together okay. for the first time. So this is new to me too. Later that night, well past sunset, we decided to take a walk around Panahachi. Eddie warned us that while we were safe with him, we shouldn't attempt to wander into the area on our own after dark due to potential dangers of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Right as we embarked on our walk, a little white dog approached us. The dog ignored Kevin and Eddie and came straight up to me, joining alongside me for our walk. Uh, She's like, see, told you. It was certainly not the first stray dog I'd ever encountered while traveling, and I couldn't resist giving it a little bit of attention at first. But after about a block or so, it wandered off again exactly as I had anticipated it would. I didn't really think twice about the encounter. However, a couple minutes later, the dog was back with a pack of around five or six more dogs. The little white dog resumed its spot by my side as the other dogs spaced themselves out around us, to the front, to the side, and to the back. What? It's hard to explain, but this little white dog seemed to have an unerring sense of purpose and intelligent leadership, while the additional dogs just felt like normal dopey dogs that had been wrangled for the appearance of extra protection. They walked along us, but they were also wrestling each other, scoping out trash, doing typical dog things that the little white dog strangely had no interest in. The streets were pretty dark and empty since it was late at night, and all the businesses in town were closed. Now let me remind you that when we first encountered the dog, she was indifferent to Kevin and Eddie, but was very sweet to me. Mm -hmm. There was nothing about her that seemed intimidating. But every time this dog would see a man step out of an alleyway or around the corner on a bike, she would go charging after them, aggressively barking until they would turn around in a panic and head in the opposite direction. She continued to chase after them until she felt they were a safe distance away from us, and then she would return by my side and acknowledge me sweetly. Oh my god. We walked for quite a distance, doubting the pack would stick with us the entire way, but any time we lost sight of them, the little white dog would go around back and find us again even if we had covered quite a distance in the time since her pack had gotten distracted. She continued to protect us against any other people that appeared in our path. When we finally made it back to Eddie's house, she made no attempt to follow us through the front door for food or shelter. She simply noted that we were home safe and then ran off with the other dogs. The next day, we decided to spend the afternoon poolside at a nearby hostel. 
To our surprise, the same little white dog was there, lounging alongside the pool. I figured she would be excited to see me again after being glued to my side the night before. Instead, she didn't seem to recognize me at all. I felt a little bit dejected at that moment, but when I think back on it, it was that beautiful day with bright sunshine, music, and people all around. I was completely safe in that moment. I no longer had a need for protection. Yeah. Had El Cadeo embodied that little white dog the night before? I'll leave that up to you to decide. Either way, it was a strange and memorable experience. That is adorable. So I'm going to hand you this. It's in black and white. If you want, it's in the listener stories email. She sent some pictures where the dogs were there. The little white dog got cut off a little bit in the... But that is so bizarre, isn't it? Like, I see exactly what she's saying about how it could have been a coincidence. Right. But, but I mean, even if it's not um, El Cadeo, I've definitely experienced with animals when they are when they suddenly are like, I'm going to protect you. Like, this is not a good place. I'm going to protect you, even if they're strange animals to me. So I am so happy to know because Gina travels a lot. And does travel solo a lot. Like her and Kevin travel together, but then she does her own thing because she does what she wants to do. Right. Love her. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, And I'm so happy to know that there might be spirits out there that are just like, all right, I got you. I got you. I I love how the little white dog also wrangled a bunch of just like dopey dogs. Gina, thank you very thank much. Thank you. For that the was such story. a good story. And you wrote it so well. I could visualize the entire thing. She's a storyteller. It's so good. Oh, it's oh. So if you have a paranormal encounter, a story you'd like to tell us, something that you feel deals with uh, the more the para than the normal, mm-hmm. you can send it to us by email, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the Listener Stories tab at the top of the page, or you can click the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whichever you prefer. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, at Left of Skeptic, and Facebook, at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well, we want to thank you all for joining us again this spooky Wednesday. We hope you are getting out there and enjoying the weather. Yeah, and I hope you're not stuck at home with a stupid cold like I am. Yeah, yeah. No stupid colds. All good weather. All good weather. You just suck in that sunshine. We love you all and appreciate you. We appreciate you so much. Happy spooky Wednesday. Happy spooky Wednesday. Okay. Bye. Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye!